this morning. Um, uh, as we get ready to hear the message, let's first hear God's word for us today. This comes from Leviticus chapter 23, verses 33 through 36, and verses 39 through 43. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites on the 15th day of the seventh month of the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins, and it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly, do no regular work. For seven days, present food offerings to the Lord, and on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It is the closing special assembly, do no regular work. So beginning with the 15th day of the 17th of the seventh month, after you have gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day also is a day of Sabbath rest. On the first day, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come, celebrated in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters, so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And then from the Gospel of John, chapter 7. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. This is the word of the Lord. How many of you went to camp when you were a kid? Okay, a lot of you. How many of you are going to camp this week? Okay, great, yes. In fact, we have 115 students here at Loring Mill, and right after this service, they are gonna get on a bus, and they're going to camp, and there will be great rejoicing, so their parents will be kid-free for a week, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I know my mom, when I was in seventh grade, was excited for me to go to camp for the first time, and I realize now she wanted me out of the house for a week. That was the big thing, right? And, and I was excited to go to camp because the cutest seventh grader ever alive at that time, a little girl named Cindy Rebar, was also going to camp, and I, I had a major crush on Cindy. Oh, I mean, she was the bomb. And so uh, all during camp week, I would keep trying to be close to her. I tried to sit with her when, when we had nightly worship. I tried to, to eat with her and sit at her table. Today, you would call that stalking. Um, it was really, really great. And by the end of the week, whew, Cindy and I were holding hands. <laughs> Now, I see it's a dud over here. Some of you giggled because you remember when holding hands was the thing, right? It was a simpler time. Cut me a break. All right. But I want to tell you something else that happened that week at camp. Uh, that week at camp, we had a campfire service, which is kind of one of those camp things that you do. And, and so we were doing the campfire service, and they were singing songs to a guitar, and somebody brought a devotional. And I don't remember a thing that was said, what I remember more than anything was the presence of God. And it wasn't just because Cindy was sitting beside me. 
It was, it was an awareness that there was a God in heaven who really loved me and I was in his presence. There was something supernatural that I could not explain that was going on. It was amazing. Now my prayer for each one of you, 115 of you going to camp, is that you have that experience this week. That you will get to experience the presence and the power of God in whatever way that happens for you. And by the way, tomorrow we're sending off 37 children to children's camp. And that's my prayer for them too, that, that people will actually get aware of God and God in their lives. Now what's really interesting is in Leviticus chapter 23, God told his people, the Israelites, to go to camp. Camp is not just for kids. This was for the whole nation. The whole nation was supposed to go and remember this time, this was a festival before the Lord. And God had commanded his people three times each year to take a week, make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and there to really focus on God. The first festival was the festival we know as the Feast of Passover, where they remembered that God had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And the second festival was the Festival of Weeks that allowed them to celebrate the wheat harvest. It also became known in the New Testament as Pentecost. You may have heard of Pentecost. And then finally, there was the Festival of Booths. And it was a time when they were supposed to come aside, make this trip to Jerusalem. They were to build huts and they were to live in them for a week. Now, I do need to tell you, the Festival of Booths, sometimes there is still south in my mouth and people hear it wrongly. When we did sermon run through this week, the staff present said, we thought you were saying the festival of booze. <laughs> Which shows you where the staff's mind was, right? No, it's the festival of booths, like huts. That's, that's what they're talking about. So if I, if I get south in my mouth and it sounds like booze, no, it's booths. Everybody got the enunciation down? All right, all right, here we go. So, so scholars agree that the Festival of Booths was the most joyful. It was the most celebratory, and that was really because uh, it was equivalent to our Thanksgiving Day, except that it lasted a whole week, and people really focused on the presence of God and the blessings of God. And so God instructed the people, we pick this up in verse 35, the first day is a sacred assembly, do no regular work. For seven days, present food offerings to the Lord, and on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It is the closing special assembly. Do no regular work. Now, there's a phrase there that's repeated twice, and the phrase is, do no regular work. What's God saying? God's saying you need a break from the regular grind. Remember, in the ancient world, there's no such thing as vacation. But God says, look, being with me is so important, I want you to vote to devote three weeks every year just to come aside, don't work, I want you to focus on me. This is the idea of sacred time. Sacred time, what is sacred time? S sacred time is, is not just taking a break, it's not just going on vacation. I want you to think about how most of us live our lives. Most of us, we schedule the important things or they are scheduled for us. Like our work schedule tends to take up the biggest block of time or school schedule takes up the biggest block of time. 
And then we try to squeeze in family, we try to squeeze in rest, and we try to squeeze in God. But God has a completely different understanding of time. He says, I want you to put these big blocks in first. Plan your whole year around these three big festivals. And then figure out how you do your work around time for me. Sacred time is intentional time to be with God and to be open to God. Let me say that again. Sacred time is intentional time to be with God and to be open to God. So what do you do during sacred time? First thing you do is you rest. You rest. Now, this is not checking out, okay? You, you're not resting when you're doing this. You're not resting when you're doing this. This is actually taking a break from all of that sacred time. You rest. Now, I know, I know all 115 of you who are about to go to camp, you're going to rest this week, right? All right, now I'm going to poll you. How many of you think they're going to rest this week? No, okay. But listen, it's important. It's actually important. You need to have some, some break from the routine. You need to rest. You need to put yourself in a different realm. See, that's what Sabbath means. It means to cease. It means to desist. This is more than prayer. See, prayer is talking to God, that's important. Prayer is listening to God, that's important. But this is actually taking time to be in a restful mode and say, I'm not gonna be anxious in the presence of God. Don't you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28? He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, what's the word? Rest. I'll give you rest. People have said to me from time to time, I feel guilty, I feel guilty when I'm praying and I fall asleep. Don't feel guilty if you pray and fall asleep. Here's what I have learned. When I am praying, and then after I've kind of gone through my anxiety list, you know the anxiety list, God, I've sinned, please forgive me. I'm anxious about that, forgive me. God, somebody I love is in trouble, please heal them. Please do something good in their lives. God, the world's a mess. Would you please straighten out the world? Okay, I've prayed through my anxieties. Now I can just rest in the presence of God. I can listen in his presence. Have you ever had a baby go to sleep on you? Isn't that a good feeling? Now let me tell you, if you're not a grandparent yet, a grandchild going to sleep on you is even better because when they have a stinky diaper, you can hand them back. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And, and if it's so great for me to feel the resting child in my arms, how much more does your heavenly father enjoy you resting in his arms? Can you just picture that with me for a minute? I want you to just picture you resting in the arms of a God who loves you so much. Now, there's something more in these verses. So, God wants us to rest. That's sacred time. But there's also this mention of a food offering. What is a food offering? Well, in those days, they did not have wonder bread. They had to make their bread every day. And so, you would make an extra loaf of bread, and you would take it, and you would put it on the altar and we're going, oh, that's cool, right? No, there's more to this. You see, in the ancient world, to offer someone bread 
was a social interaction. It meant I want a relationship with you. I want you to be my friend. Sacred time is about relationship. Sacred time is about relationship. And every relationship that matters takes time. The best way to kill a marriage is stop investing time. The best way to alienate a child is stop investing time. The best way to be distant from God is stop investing time. Is that really what you want? You see, if God is more than just your emergency, I don't want to go to hell plan, you need to invest some sacred time with him. The reason we encourage you to, to, to read the Bible is so that you can be in his presence and think his thoughts. The reason we encourage you to pray and to listen is so that you can actually have communion, conversation with God. So what do we do during sacred time? We rest. We focus on the relationship. And we rejoice. We rejoice. Now, rejoicing is not just party. Okay, to rejoice means that you take pleasure in what God is doing in your life and in this world. And so we're told in verse 40, on the first day, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, uh, palms, willows, and other leafy trees, rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You're supposed to rejoice. This is actually a command, rejoice. And what they did is they would take all these branches from willows and palms, they would bundle them up, and at the very end they would take a string and they would tie the string onto a citron. A citron is a type of citrus fruit, and it, is, it looks like a rough lemon, and it is very fragrant, smells like lemon, very fragrant. And they would wave these back and forth. At night, they would have these huge processions, and there would be lots of food, and people would take these branches, and they would process around the camps, around the booths. And now, I'm about to shock all of you who grew up Baptists. As they processed and waved the branches, they danced. They did not have just rhythmic movement. They danced. It was a sacred dance. It was a time of joy. Because actually, to rejoice, sometimes you need some movement. Now, now I'm not a graceful person physically. I just, I don't have that gift. I, I'm not light on my feet. Um, and and, and I, I don't dance. I don't, I'm not a good dancer. Uh, but I did, I did one time, I took, Gina and I took shag lessons. And for those of you watching in Britain, in the United States, shag is a dance, not that other thing, okay? And so, and so we took it, and I knew this because my daughters were getting married, and so my oldest daughter uh, got married, and we had the dad-daughter dance. It was such a sacred, special moment. Oh, I mean, I, just, I was remembering from when she was a little girl, and I just made me want to cry and laugh at the same time, because now she's all grown up, she's found the love of her life, and, and now she getting married meant that, that he was going to love her and take care of her and pay for her. It was a time of rejoicing, and ever since we went to a wedding, uh, and I'll even tell you, we, we went to Mark and Cherie Williams' wedding, and they played this song, Build Me a Buttercup, and that became Hannah and my song and so that was the song we danced to why do you build me up you know you know this song yeah there was, this half of the room is going yeah yeah this half of the room is going what 
It was the 60s, okay? So, so, and we danced to that song. It was wonderful. I mean, and, and I was doing the, as best I could the different shag moves that I had learned. And, and we just danced. It was a time of great joy. And then, then my youngest daughter, Sarah, got married. And, and, and our song was a song by Alan Jackson, When Daddy Let Me Drive. When Daddy Let Me Drive. Okay, she just loved that song. And that was our song. And so, and so we were dancing. And again, it was the same thing. I was rejoicing because she found the love of her life. And because, because I knew this was a good match and I could see God was in it. And, 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 and yes, I had all those sweet memories and some sadness, but it was just this time of joy. And so I was doing that thing where you twirl them out and you bring them back in and I would let her out and I brought her back in. She said, Daddy, don't do that so hard. I'm about to come out of my dress. And, and I realized, okay, my rejoicing can get a little overblown. It's a time of rejoicing. Now, maybe you don't dance and I get that. Because your mama don't dance and your daddy don't rock and roll. I get that. (laughs) But how and when do you rejoice that the God of heaven, the God who is the maker of all things, wants a relationship with you? When do you rejoice in that simple reality? I mean, when do you rejoice that the God who made everything, knows you by name. He knows every one of your problems. He knows every one of your issues. He knows what troubles your heart, and he loves you, and he pours grace on you, and he forgives you for all of your failures. He sent his son Jesus to die for you and then to be resurrected so you could have a relationship with him. That's amazing. When do you rejoice in that? Now would be a good time to actually say, isn't it amazing that God loves me this much? And so you need, you need to have this time of rejoicing. What else do you do during sacred time? You rest, focus on your relationship, you rejoice, and you remember. You remember. We're living in a culture that doesn't like to remember. We tend to want to look to the future and have another experience that helps us not to remember. And and granted, lots going on in the world right now that you don't even want to remember is going on. But listen to what God says. In verse 41, live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters, tents, booths, so that your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So, So what's the big deal with the temporary shelters? Well, the idea of sacred time is connected with the idea of sacred space. Sacred space is, 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 is a place where you can have sacred time. And so that's a time where you come and you, you actually are in God's presence. And so the Israelites, just like us, you get so comfortable at home or you get so overwhelmed at home, one of the two. You can be at home and, and you know you ought to have time with God, but there's a mound of dirty laundry and dirty dishes in the sink and you think, I really, I'll have time with God as soon as I get done with all my chores, work. Hey, take a Sabbath rest and remember. Um, for a long time, I had this big red chair, had a big red ottoman, and it was in the sunroom, and, and I would just get up early in the morning before anybody in the house got, else in the house got up, and I would go and I'd sit in that big red chair, and I would live out Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. And I would watch the birds and the squirrels, and I would just think about how good God is. 
and I would read my Bible and I would pray. And it was a reminder of the goodness and graciousness of God. And so that's what God encourages his people to do, to find sacred space to go with sacred time so they could remember that God had chosen them when they were nobody, when they were slaves, and that God had brought them out of slavery. And even when they rebelled, God forgave them, and God led them all the way to a promised land so they could remember that that's what God did for their ancestors, and that same God was at work in their lives. They made time to remember. When do you take time to remember all that God has done for you? When do you do that? When do you take time to remember all that God has done for you? Now, now maybe you don't think about yourself as being a religious person or maybe you don't identify as a Jesus follower and I, I really want to honor you. Thank you for being here or watching online. And you may think I'm about to say, okay, you need to spend some time and give thanks to God. But let me ask you, that's important, but I want you to ask you to think about it just in just a little different way. I want you to think about this all the good things that have happened to you. Just think about them for a minute. You've got some rich relationships, right? You've got some friends. You, you've got people who care about you. I mean, you live in the United States of America, which with all of our troubles is still the best country in the world to live in. You have material things. You, you realize that people overseas, when they see what we think of as just normal living, normal people, they, they think we're all rich. You have a level of comfort. What if all of that is not luck? You, you hear people talk like this? Oh, we're just so lucky. I was so lucky to meet her. I was so lucky she said yes. We were lucky to find that deal. What if it's more than luck? What if it is blessing? What if God actually personally knows your needs and blesses you and blesses you abundantly more than you can think? Do you take time to remember how God has blessed you? And what does that say? If you're not a church person, what does that say that maybe there is a God who, who wants to bless you this much? Now, some of you would say, maybe, but I'm just not there today, and I get that. Maybe you're saying, look, I am really, I am just in a pit. I feel bad. I feel bad about myself. I feel bad about the world. I watch the news. I filled up my gas tank. I am in a bad mood. I get that. The challenge, if that's where you are today, is not to stay there. See, see the, the, the bad in the world and in our lives has a suction effect. Like, it's, it's like, have you all ever been out in the, in the salt marsh and stepped in fluff mud? Fluff mud? You ever stepped in that? You ever got unstuck? That's what it's like. You can just get mired down in the bad stuff. And you've got to have time, intentional time and space to come out and remember all of the good. You need to look where your help comes from. It comes from the Lord, your God, the maker of heaven and earth. So, what is sacred time? Sacred time is about, it is about rest, it is about relationship, it is about rejoicing, and it is about remembering. So let's get practical, how do you do this? How do you really make this come alive? How do you do this? Well, first of all, you need some daily sacred time. You need some daily sacred 
time. I described for you my special chair where I had daily sacred time. That worked for me. Maybe that doesn't work for you. I get that. You need to find what works for you. I know people, their daily sacred time is they put in the earbuds, they get on a treadmill, and they, they have daily sacred time on the treadmill. It helps them feel close to God. Now, I want to tell you, when I am on the treadmill with my earbuds in, I feel close to God, but it's a different kind of closeness. It's like, Lord, I think I'm coming home right now. Okay, so that's a different thing. Maybe, maybe you're not a treadmill person. That's okay. You can walk. You can walk in the woods. You can walk around the neighborhood. You can just, you can sense and feel the goodness of God. Or maybe you need to walk uh, this coming week. You need to walk about three o'clock in the afternoon and sense what's going to happen to you if you don't get right with God. But that's another story. Uh, you, maybe, maybe walking is not your thing. Maybe, maybe sitting is not your thing. Uh, I know some people who feel really close to God when they sing. They, they sing and they, sing, they sense God's presence. Maybe it is coming into a room like this and worshiping with other people. You need to find what works for you. And you need to have daily, daily time that is sacred. And you need to have weekly time that's sacred. Now, I do think this is why we need to regularly practice coming together and worshiping together. And I think it is healthy for us to do this multi-generation. Because there are people in this room right now who have lived a long time, and there are people who have not lived as long, and you need each other. I think back a long time ago to that campfire, and I think if I had just been sitting by a campfire by myself, would I have sensed the presence of God that night? Maybe, but I kind of doubt it. There was something about being with a group of people and, and you could feel people opening up to God and you could feel what was going on. And by the way, if you are a Jesus follower and you wonder why should I come to church or why should I gather to worship, why should I even tune in electronically, it is because when you open up your heart to God, you have an impact on other people. There's something that happens when we come together and we sing together and we celebrate together and we pray for one another and we see each other's faces that just doesn't happen when we're apart. And I think you need time with God annually. Uh, I'm really grateful the kids are going to camp. They get this. They're, they're, they're actually doing an annual time with God. I have to admit, I thought that was only for kids until I read this passage this week. I'd never thought about annually. I need a couple of days to spend with God, maybe even a week. I need more than just an hour or a minute to, to really connect with the sacred God who loves me. What would happen if I did this each year? If I took a few days just to say, this is me and God time. Now, some of you are going, wait, hey, Clay, you don't understand my life. I still have kids at home, and the grandparents won't keep them, and I totally get that. I totally understand. I've been there. And, you know, the kids are crying out, you've got to go to Disney, and you only have so many vacation days. It's like, okay, we're going to go on vacation. What if you could make parts of your vacation time before God? What if, like, during a cruise, like if, you do, if you're a cruise person, you're on the cruise, and you take the kids out to the fantail and hold them over the edge and say, if you don't believe, we're going to drop you. No, don't do that, okay? But what would happen if you just, if you ask them, hey, look at this big wide ocean, and I want you to think about how big God is. He's bigger than the ocean. That might be the God moment, the moment your kids remember far more than they remember whatever else happens on the cruise. 
Or maybe when you go to the beach, go to a, the beach with a three-year-old. They will see things you miss. And remind them, that's God. What about, what about if, I mean, if you're a mountain person, get, go to the mountains. And just maybe even look at the waterfalls and say, hey, hey remember Jesus said if you're thirsty, come to him. What, what does that make you think about? And I know some of you are not going to do that. You're going to go to Disney, okay? I'm not one of those people who believe it's a sin to go to Disney. But maybe when you're Disney, stand in front of Cinderella's castle and bend down and look at the kids and say, hey guys, here's one of the things we're going to do today. I want you to tell me where you see God at Disney World. You may see Disney in a whole new way. Almost like a whole new world. That was cheesy, wasn't it? Was that not just the cheesiest dad thing ever? Okay, okay. Now, let me tell you the best reason to have an annual time of rest and rejoicing and remembering and focusing on the relationship is because it's what Jesus did. It is what Jesus did. And, and let's remember, Jesus was a pretty busy guy. But that's the passage in the Gospel of John. Uh, John tells us how Jesus in chapter seven actually goes to the festival of booths. And on the last day of the festival, he stands up, and, and you remember what John said, the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. By the way, you know that's the same thing he said to the woman at the well? And then he goes on, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, the rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in were later to receive. Up to that time the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So Jesus does this. He stands up and he says, hey, if you're thirsty, come to me. I've got living water for you. It's going to flow out of you. Now why does Jesus say this? In Jesus' time, during the festival of booths, the priests would go to the pool of Siloam and they would gather up buckets of water. And then they would take these buckets of water and they would march around the altar in the temple seven times. Now we're not talking about one or two priests. We're not even talking about a dozen priests. We're talking about hundreds of priests making this march around the altar with water. Why'd they do that? They were an agricultural society. And remember, this is the feast that celebrates the end of the harvest. And on the last day of the feast, what they're simply doing is saying, God, if you don't send the rain again, we're not going to eat. Do you realize how dependent you are on God every day? No rain, no food, hunger, famine. God, we are ending up this, fellow, uh, this festival celebrating the harvest by just going around with the buckets of water remembering that we depend on you. We depend on you. And what is Jesus now saying? He's saying, now you need to depend on me. You need to depend on me for the grace you need, for the forgiveness you need, for the strength you need. You need to depend on me to show you direction in life and, and how to live and what to do. And the living water is going to flow out of you. Bitterness is going to go away from you. When I am inside of you, your addictions will get smaller. Oh, they may not go away entirely, 
You're going to have to keep fighting the battles, but, but you have a living water in you that's going to nourish your soul, change your life. And people are going to come up to you and say, hey, I don't know what's going on in you, but I want some of that. I want some of that. And you can say to them, let me tell you, I'm not any different than you except I have Jesus, and he's the living water. You know, I, th- I think back to that camp experience of mine long ago. And I ask myself, it's a convicting question. When was the last time I had just the experience of an overwhelming sense of God? When was the last time I made that much sacred time to be in God's presence so I could have the experience? I want to ask you the same question. When's the last time you had that sense of God's presence, that overwhelming presence of God? When's the last time? Maybe you need to make some sacred time in your life. Maybe. You need to go to camp. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for knowing that we need rest and we need time to rejoice and remember and focus on our relationship with you. And I pray, Father, today, uh, not just for these students, but for all of us, you plant that seed and, and help us think about sacred time, time to be with you. And help us not just to think about it, but then to actually do it. I want to pray especially for people who don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord. I pray that today they would take that next step and accept him and embrace him and give their life to him. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.